Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here. Season one is afoot, and we are kicking it off by exploring not just human nature, but particularly the facet of fathers and fathering, the impact and the influence they have on the lives of my guests. Hold tight, stay tuned, and listen in because we are about to journey into a series of conversations. It is incredible. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Here we go. I'm excited to continue this adventure with Amir Ebrahimi. Welcome, Amir. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, it is a show. Yeah. <laughs> so um, where to start? Uh, there's as, as I reviewed a little bit and, and looked on LinkedIn and Twitter to kind of fill out a little bit more of your professional life. A few things stood out to me. One was, and I know about this from our conversations we've had when we're, when we're together, is, is your passion for stretching your mind, your passion for challenging your mind as a software engineer, I think a computer scientist maybe as well, if that's the right terminology. Yeah. Okay, great. As a computer yeah, scientist and a software engineer who is really interested in machine learning, deep learning, quantum computing. Tell me about that part of, of your world and, and why that means so much to you. I like how you start off with a simple, uh, simple question. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, because I'm, I'm venturing in that space. I'm, I'm exploring that space too, trying, you know, as we all try to find meaning with our own lives, or at least with, with me trying to find meaning in my own life, I get to understand more about myself uh, through the work, you know, the work that I choose, the, the path that I'm taking. So I'm kind of buying myself some time by, explain this. I'm trying to feel into that. One way I could go at this is with the idea of how technology and humanity, if, if I wanted to just bifurcate it along those lines, like technology and humanity have this relationship. And whether we're looking at like modern technology of the computer, that's one thing, but we could roll back much further, you know, in history. But I'm not going to because I'm not an expert in that area. But I'm, I'm just drawing the attention that, you know, throughout time we've had this relationship with technology. I think it's very much in our, our face as individuals nowadays with the phones we carry, the, you know, the laptops, the, you know, like our TVs are smarter now. I mean, their TVs are pretty much have their own operating system. You boot your TV up now. You know, it's not just a simple device. So there's this relationship of technology and I, I love being in technology, but I'm not swallowed by it. I'm not like pro-technology, I'm not anti-technology. So I'm kind of setting that up because I, I love programming and, and computer science and the idea of computation in general, because there's some like built-in feature of our universe that computation can exist. And I think that's what fascinates me with, with programming. What is the quantum side you're, you're attracted to? How's that different than normal or standard computing? Well, I just saw a, a talk recently by um, an IBM fellow. His name's Charlie Bennett. Okay. He's an amazing uh, person and he framed things differently. At some point, we'll probably talk about this Quantum computers are right now seen as something that speeds up, that you could speed up computations. For layman purposes, like a quantum computer is faster than a, okay. a normal computer. Uh, but Charlie Bennett, in his recent, this recent talk, he talks about how it's really our classical computers that are, that are limited instead of a quantum computer being a speed up. Mm -hmm. Because as best we understand it right now, the nature of the universe is quantum. Like quantum mechanics is the way we, uh, we explain the physics of things at a minute scale and also at an astronomical scale when we talk about black holes and things like that. So really, we have removed the quantum effects that cause problems with our classical computers. 
he reframed it as our classical computers are actually running slower because we are unable to embrace the quantum. So let me, let me just sit with that for a minute because what I think I hear you saying is flipping around is that quantum computing actually is closer to reality and the nature of the universe. And so right now our current versions of computing are simulations or delayed or echoes of the actual way in which reality works. You got it. Okay. That's fascinating. So yeah. I, I kind of get a glimpse as you say that and explain that why this world suddenly becomes so interesting. I'm definitely clearly interested in life sciences and the health sciences and human sciences and human nature. That's why I'm doing a podcast on how humans work. I know that part of your human nature is this deep kind of almost Jedi-like adventure towards how high performance of a cognitive system can I have? How mm. strongly can I relate with the best thinkers, the, the most cutting edge science and the computer sciences. And it's one of the things I admire about you. And it's one of the things I'm like, okay, Amir is a super interesting guy to me. And I would love to have this conversation. And I don't really want to get lost in the, the computing world. I'm interested yeah. in you, but I'm interested in getting a taste of it on two levels. One, why does that, why does that arouse your, your life force? Why does it pull you in into this adventure? What spoke to you? And you started to hint at it, but I'm going to give you another chance to give me another layer of it. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard not to go spiritual with this. I'm going to use the term source. So whether that's the, the universe or Mother Earth or, you know, God or, you know, whatever maybe is a bigger and beyond us all. There's some part of this journey for me that feels like coming home, mm. like connecting back to source. The, the, it's not even about where I'm going to get. It's not about needing to um, complete anything. And what's neat is there's like an individual level of this search or not search, um, like trying to gain the knowledge that I need in order to move this field along that's new. And then that's also happening at a collective level because the field itself is so nascent that, you know, people are at the fringes, these really bright minds at the fringes, they don't also know where this is going. And to me, that kind of is spiritual in a way in that, like, I can connect with that. I mean, yeah, that, that not knowing is, is somehow tied to how we are as humans. You know, we search for meaning with our, with our lives. So it's, it's just this neat uh, expression of that, I think. Yeah, I hear that. I hear the way it, it brings you closer to the mystery and at one level, but then closer to a sense of belonging or, or remembering. The second part I wanted to check in with you about is really before we get into the father stuff is really because you're you're, you're at this meeting place of technology and, and humanity, as you put it, or machine learning, deep learning, AI and human capacities that interface is a really interesting juncture. And if I understand it right, you're somewhere in that story of exploring that juncture. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So, so you're part of that movement um, that that's working that particular edge. What's your sense of, of that edge of that relationship between humanity and technology and where you, you say one level you said, you don't know where we're going, but it is going somewhere where we've never been before. What's your thoughts on that? If you, if you have any. There is, there's certainly an acceleration happening with the, uh, machine learning in that technology in the past 10 years. So mach uh, machine learning has actually been around since the 1950s. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago when our technology made it to such a point that we could do these deep networks now that kind of mirror the brain these machine learning models are allowing us to do deeper work than any one of our own brains almost could uh, essentially do. And so looking at large data sets, I guess what I'll say is I, I see a convergence happening where machine learning is, it, it's now like interesting physicists and other like outside of the technology area, you know, 
being able to have audio transcribes correctly or to, you know, detect cats on, on the internet. I mean, that's a joke, but it's also kind of true because we have so many photos of cats on the internet that we've somehow, (laughs) in a way we're telling AI that this is an important thing to keep track of. I guess what I'm saying is it kind of sat in the technology realm for a bit, but it's now moving beyond that into the life sciences, into the, you know, industrial processes because there are certain types of problems that are just difficult to compute. Let's take COVID, for example. Simulating molecular interactions are just something that's beyond even our, like our biggest supercomputers. So machine learning is kind of a heuristical way to break that down and compute something that would, you know, not exactly, but give you a rough answer at these very difficult problems. I mean, what I I think I hear you saying, Amir, is that it's almost like quantum and machine learning allow us to think in ways bigger than a single human mind can conceive. Yes. It's almost like you can't, of course, mimic the whole of the universe, but we can get closer to what the universe understands in terms of data and relative information than a single human mind or even maybe human history as a whole. Mm. can think, you know, like if you think of all the thoughts we've had through the course of human history that have led to where we can do what we can do today technologically, it's like it's getting closer to that than the normal limitations. Am I on to what you're you're driving at? Yeah, I I think you're extrapolating a bit. And and I would just say everything you're saying is in line with what's what seems to be happening. So Mm -hmm. it's it, it is becoming bigger than any one of our minds could ever do alone. You know, and and the mind is also brilliant. We can easily recognize things that are hard for computers to do. But that's where maybe there's this interesting relationship between, you know, humans and and AI or the AI that, you know, the machine learning that we have. So um, I want to turn the corner here a little bit. Talk about a little bit more about your sense of, of, of you in the world. How are you known in the world? And how do you come to know the world at this point in your life? Well, I, I can't actually say how I'm known in the world because I don't, I haven't had a good sense of self through mm-hmm. most of life. Occasionally I have moments where I'm that I'm foolish in a way and that, mm-hmm. you know, the way I, I think about myself is not actually how I'm perceived. So, so I'm just gonna, I'll leave that part as, is I just don't actually know. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a follow-up question on that? Yeah, sure. When you say you haven't had a good sense of self, does that mean like your image system of what you imagined happening and how you're perceived and how you see yourself? Like there's a, it's hard to be accurate with that. Well, I'm tying some of this back to early childhood where the story I tell myself Mm -hmm. is that because I didn't get a lot of feedback Mm -hmm. during those formative years, it, it really left me kind of, um, not knowing, not, not having that, that great sense of self, even at a young age. I mean, obviously, I, I do have some idea of how I'm perceived. But then, I, like, I'll be caught off guard. I'll, be, I'll have these moments where I'm like, wait, oh, maybe, maybe the way I'm thinking about this is not, yeah, is not at all like how other people experience me. That sounds a little disorienting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and part of it too, I think I've kind of let go of that need a little bit. Um, I mean, if I can give one little story, like. Absolutely. Jump in. There was this, there was this time period where I was still wanting to be cool in some way, like uh, among friends. And I think I had this idea that I was cool, but then I, I'd have these experiences where I'd realize, wait, no, no, I'm not cool. Like I'm perceiving that person or and that was, that, I don't know, that was kind of important for a while. Um, but now I'm kind of at a point where <laughs> I don't actually care. <laughs> like, like if I'm, if, if I'm like kind of awkward or geeky or yeah. um, I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I know other people that I would have that judgment about. And I'm okay if that's also how others perceive me. Yeah. 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 There's a kind of maturity and resiliency in that. I love the way you're being honest about it, though, and, and the need I can recognize and I can start getting into my own my own uh, relative stories to what you're sharing. But I want to go back just a tad 
to this question of, okay, so you're not sure how you're known in the world. How do you come to know the world aside from science? And I, I gather that the computer science is a bit of a spiritual quest for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but where do, where do you find your connection? I'll, I'll answer your question, but I'm going to start off with the, I think part of why I like science so much. There's a standard that just exists that is what it is. So if you want to be in the field of science, it isn't really based on people. I mean, maybe getting into certain schools or, you know, there's a personal aspect to it, but the field itself is just the field. There's just what you need to know to be effective. And I love that there's no judgment in that. It just is. So, so coming back to your question, I don't know. I, I find it difficult to be in the world. I find connection in like-minded. I, I find connection in people who have integrity. You know, I, I'm an introvert, so I'm frequently experiencing the world through my own thoughts. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm answering your question quite right, but... Um, not a lot of expectations or pressure for this to go or be anything than it is. Um, I trust you. I like you. I'm glad you're here. I'm, go- I'm glad you're talking. I just want to keep welcoming you to, to, to lean in. Um, Thank you. In, into whatever you're feeling or whatever the response is. Um, because, you know, the show really is about our, our deeper human nature and our, and our deep human nature about how we work and what's going on and what moves us and what we understand and what we don't understand. One of the things that's interesting for me about your story, Amir, is you grew up in Alabama, right? Yep. And your father's Persian? Yep. And your mother is Haitian? Yeah, Haitian. And, and also, is your father's an immigrant? Or was yeah, he born yeah. here? No, so he's an immigrant. Yeah. yeah. So, so I would love to kind of start talking about your dad and, and, and that early part of your life and, and what that world of Alabama was like and, and what, what kind of man he was, what kind of father he was, how did he show up or not show up? And you started hinting at that in terms of the lack of feedback, but it's your story and I'm really interested in it. Yeah, actually, Alabama is a good time because I live, uh, I was born in Indianapolis. We lived there for a while. We were in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then we moved to Alabama. No, no, sorry. Then we were in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, and then we went to Alabama. And that was all before I think I turned five. My dad got a job in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> so he moved the family there. My mom was an educator. I guess she had found a, a teaching job. I remember sleeping on the floor when we, when we first moved into our house because our unfortunately our the truck driver with all of our stuff, he went off the side of a mountain. I think he was okay. I don't remember exactly not all of our stuff was destroyed, but a lot of it was. So we just didn't have any of our stuff when we first moved there. So it was kind of a weird experience of like moving to a place and not feeling like not even having a bed to sleep, uh, sleep in. So tell me about your dad. What's your dad, what's your dad been like through your life? He's certainly a proud person or my experience of him is that he's, he's been a proud person in the sense that uh, some of the early lessons I got from him were he always wanted me to have some cash in my pocket. <laughs> he never wanted me to have to um, ask anyone else for anything. He worked very hard. So work was important to him. What's his name and what's his job? What was he doing? Um, his name's Nujan. Yeah, N-O-U-J-A-N. I don't know when he took the name Paul on, but uh-huh. P-A-U-L became his like American name got a degree in mechanical engineering. So um, he was working at a compact disc manufacturing company. One of the third largest in the country was in Huntsville, Alabama. So yeah, very uh, mathematically oriented um, Mm -hmm. engineer, like having an engineer's mindset. How did he do fatherhood? What was his strategy? Was he like coaching, sports team? Definitely not the sports father. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> my own dad I remember he was he never coached anything but I remember one we lived in Lake Tahoe for a few years and I was in my uh you know tween years and we were playing soccer in the snow and he walks up and he's wearing glasses and he had this kind of Clint Eastwood look about him 
and we're and we're all pretty afraid of him for reasons I can share with you sometime. But he comes up and he's like, just you could feel everybody on the soccer field go, whoa, dude, that dad is vibing hard right now. And he pulls <laughs> me and my brother off the soccer field because kids shouldn't be playing in soccer and snow. And we were just having the best time. Oh, Su- wow. Super difficult, super humiliating, kind of like, oh, dude, super hard. So uh, my dad wasn't a soccer or, or any kind of coach, really. He did do some support for me. I appreciate that because that just brought a memory to mind of uh, when I played soccer for the first time. Um, so it was in Huntsville and there were the, the, the rec leagues you could join. I don't know when we arrived in Huntsville, but as soon as I started to make some friends in the neighborhood, I, I got, I think we were hitting summer and what do you do in Huntsville? You play soccer or you play some other sport. So I signed up for uh, this a soccer team that my, in the same league my friend was on. I show up to the first day of practice um, my dad just drops me off doesn't hang around I've never played soccer in my life so a lot of these other kids had already and the coach was like hey go over to right forward and I ran over to some part of the field and like he's yelling at me because I'm not in the right location I mean I felt so humiliated that after uh, the practice I when I got home this is pre-internet of course so uh, we had some Encyclopedia Britannicas and I actually cracked open one of those and like looked up soccer so I could like find out where these positions were. But so this story also means a lot to me because it's also kind of a, um, it shares my experience of my dad, which is um, one where uh, not, you know, not necessarily there to, to show me the ropes beforehand. I mean, I'm sure like, Persians love soccer. Like I'm sure my dad, when he was younger, he must have played some soccer, even if he didn't as, as the uh, adult I knew him as. To even just think like, yeah, let me, let me just maybe like spend a little time with my son out there. Um, yeah. And this is the way I remember it. You know, maybe I, I've blocked out something. Um, yeah. But that was a really, that was a like, that was a sad start for for me with sports. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the first team sport I played. And I just felt pretty foolish going yeah. onto that field and, and not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, one thing's amazing to me is you don't know if your dad ever played soccer. Yeah. I don't know. How, how is that that like. That I would know that? You would know what his, his, his passions were, what his pre-American um, life was like in Persia or Iran. Well, I can tell you. I didn't know a lot about my dad till, well, until he visited me out here. So this is in my thirties, I'm thinking, or maybe it was late twenties, but I took him to Yosemite. I had not really heard any of his life. That's just the type of relationship we've mm-hmm. had where there hasn't been a lot of um, back and forth or just even chats like that. I was like, yeah, that was probably the one time I've like gotten to know my, my dad's history the most was when we, we took a trip out to Yosemite. What'd you learn about him that you didn't know? He told me about some of his time in Iran with his friends. And uh, um, he was also telling me a little bit more about my grandfather. He, he, he kind of shared also uh, a tough story of how he got um, out of Iran. So yeah, I'd never heard that story. Um, and then, and part of that was to escape uh, being drafted into the military uh, for for religious reasons. What was your father's religion at that point? He's uh, he's a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Baha'is in Iran are actually not like uh, like you know, it's like the majority is is Muslim. Yeah. So Baha'is are not really um, regarded well there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a whole history of persecution okay. uh, in Iran. So, um, and so going in the military as a Baha'i would have been. Uh, I think it's there's also it's a very peaceful religion, right? It's peace oriented. Yeah, the idea of like killing another human being is uh, would be antithetical to the to the world unity that Baha'i uh, the Baha'i religion espouses. Yeah. yeah. So he he has a tough journey out. He comes to America. How how's he meet your mom? Um, so he came to New York 
he was in school in, uh, I think, a community college at the time. My mom was still in high school because she was younger. He met her through, um, it was through a friend group. I, I don't quite remember, but it's, it's a cool story because my aunt, I think he met my mom through my aunt's uh, husband, my, uh, my uncle. I do know this. He had a Camaro, a red Camaro. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Going to Mar- yeah. full American. <laughs> yeah. Man. And I think uh, my mom talks about that car. Like, you know, it was, I was going to, I was going to curse, but I'm not going to curse. On, on you can podcast. curse. This is fine. Totally. Well, I mean, it's just like, you know, he was a hot, you know, it's like hot shit, like having a Camaro rolling around, you know, New York. Yeah. Especially being an immigrant and trying to like, oh yeah, that, that's when I started to hear some of the stories about how he used to like pick up jobs here and there, get cash however he could. He was a hustler. Yeah. He's definitely a hustler. Um, not in the sense that he was like trying to con people out of their money. Not, I don't mean hustler in that sense. I meant he worked hard yeah. and wherever he saw an opportunity to, yeah. to make some money, he would, he would take that. Red Camaro does not sound like an introvert. No. Yeah, I guess. Uh, is your dad, yeah, I, is he an introvert like you? Is he, or, is he, or is, was that just his yeah. youth? What was that? <laughs> no, I, it's funny. I've never even thought about that question of whether my dad is an extrovert or introvert. I would have to put him in the extrovert category. Yeah. Not that he doesn't think uh, like uh-huh. about things, on, you know, ponder them, but I don't think he, uh, I don't think yeah. he thinks as much way like yeah. as much as I have about some things. Like, yeah. I think he just accepts it at face value. It's almost like he wasn't tooled. I mean, I don't know if he was tooled to, to, to raise an American child, but if he was tooled or children, cause I assume you have some siblings. Yep. And uh, if he was tooled for that, but if he was also tooled to relate to maybe your introvert, maybe your um, sensitivity. I don't know if you were sensitive as a, as a young person, but, um, yeah. I, I'm almost hearing like a red Camaro, gregarious <laughs> Persian, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in New York. And then, you know, here you are, you know, mm-hmm. and then I, I want to come back to this really kind of, for me, I find it emotionally moving this idea that it's hard for you to echo locate who you actually are or how you're seen because there was gaps of contact that said, I see you. I think that's what you said. Um, yeah. Is that, is that your truth around that? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start with a little story. Yeah. Um, love it. I forget uh, if my parents were still in Georgia. I think they were. And I had gone back to visit them at one point from California. They said, Hey, you still have a box of stuff. Can you go through it? And, you know, basically they're saying, clear out your stuff. You've moved out a long time ago. Um, so I was looking through there and I also came a, across like old VHS tapes and uh, like family videos. And um, I don't know, at that time, uh, this is in my 20s, I was curious about that. So I, I said, hey, I'm going to take these with me back. Uh, this is when I, I think maybe I bought a VCR again. My, my intention was to take these and convert them over to you know, DVDs. Um, but one of the videos I saw was when I was young. It was odd to me because I was seeing how much, how awesome I thought my dad was. In, in the video I had, we were, we were near the beach and I was just trying to get my dad's attention. And I was just like, dad, 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 you know. But like, there was a sense of like, my dad's the greatest kind of coming out of that video. And it was such a disconnect for me because I couldn't connect with that little boy. I was thinking... Well, the way I interpreted it, you know, as an adult, I was like, man, he just wants attention. He thinks the world of his dad. He just wants some of that to come back. Like, hey, dad. Am I the world? Am I the world too? Yeah. So. When did that break? Do you have a sense of uh, when you stopped looking for that from your dad? If at all? Well, I'll say, I don't know about stop looking for it, but when, uh, I would say like, if I had to pick an age, it would probably be around age seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you find other father figures or people who gave you attention? (laughs) It's interesting. You brought that up as you were kind of setting the stage. I was, I was just remembering like, like around the sports and those things, uh, very much so my friends' fathers were father figures to me. Even my, my dad's 
coworker who was two doors down from where we lived. I became a uh, quite the Michigan Wolverines fan. Because why is that? Because yeah. <laughs> he, he went to Michigan and got his degree from Michigan. We used to watch um, hockey games and uh, football on TV, and like I would just go hang out there. I haven't thought about that in the longest time, but I had basically a bunch of surrogate dads. Um, uh-huh. And it was cool because he would take me to the actual hockey games in, in Huntsville. There was the, the Chargers. <laughs> and, Huntsville uh, Chargers. Yeah, man. Nice. I, uh, Steve was his name. I, mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. He had two girls. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so, I mean, it, it was kind of cool because like, yeah, it was kind of like a, a father figure. Surrogate son a little bit too. Yeah, probably so. Uh, my friend's uh, father got me. His dad was into football, mm-hmm. big football dad. And I, I like, I got to ride along for that. And my friend Brad, uh, I joined him and started playing football. And we played football together in, in junior high as well. And I played football all the way through high school. But that's due to like kind of having a, his father interested in him doing football. So I got to tag along, you know, even getting out to the, the practices was a, an issue. I don't know. I, I think I had some like challenge with getting my parents to like drive me to things. What do you think their limitation or in particular your dad's limitation was around being able to show up in that way? Man, I really just don't know mm-hmm. to this day. There's some part of me that wants to say preoccupied, Mm-hmm. either with problems or work. I just don't have a good answer because as a mm-hmm. child, I, I didn't understand. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, I didn't, I never really asked them about that, yeah. but uh, both my parents, cause they were both kind of that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's an immigrant thing. Like it's more difficult to f- feel included or feel safe in what they call a soccer mom or football dad or whatever it is. I can imagine or project that that was there. I don't know how your, your parents' racial experience was raising a family in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, I could kind of imagine that, but nonetheless, um, it, it doesn't necessarily preclude because, you know, there's lots of people of all backgrounds that step in and lean in. But one of the things I really love just hearing you start to talk about it is, is all of a sudden there was all these instinctive moments where you found the nourishment you needed. I see that as a kind of uh, brilliance of nature that the deep nature in each of us kind of knows. I think in some ways in the village model of, of human societies that kind of happened more naturally, you know, and this, the supposition that it all it's all supposed to come from dad is probably a, a problematic idea. But what I want to really ask you now, Amir is who, who touched you the most? Who was that? fathering energy that that found you and you found the most it's a little hard because each of these like father figures i think had a significant role for the years that they were there for so it's like hard to equate okay the significant or the value but i think during my teenage years it was um ed morrison yeah man he was he was just he was such a cool dude he like he had great, like great musical interest. I, I think I even got, I think I got exposed to like Jimi Hendrix for the first time through him. He was a business partner with my parents. They decided to create this educational technology company. And he knew that I was into computers and he, he used to work with this product called uh, Macromedia Director. This is before Adobe bought them. And he just, he spent time to teach it to me. And then I started working with him on projects. And then I think even before I was 14 or 13, I was getting paid to do some of this work. This wasn't through the company he had with my uh, parents. I think it was just like a side gig. So he'd like give me a little bit of work to work on and like deliver back to him. He kind of took me in under his wing and um, he really saw that interest in computers and encouraged me to stick with it and he would, yeah, he would just hang out and he'd teach me how to do things in director. And um, I started to do some of my early programming then. And um, I felt like he thought I was a cool dude. And I <laughs> thought he was a cool dude. So like, um, yeah, Ed, man, what a, what, a, what a gift to have that. And his wife was super cool too. She loved me. 
Um, I just, yeah, I just like, I had, it makes me smile thinking of them because I, I, I do not question whether those two love me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was to tears right now just saying that, but yeah, it's uh it's uh yeah. What a gift. Yeah. 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 I guess I'm finding myself thinking about the, the contrasting experiences between your dad and Ed, the impact on, on both sides of that from a kind of like, I'm cool. I'm loved. You know, I'm interesting. I'm wanted. I know I'm wanted. I know I'm valued. And then the other one's like, I'm not sure. How do you feel shaped by your dad? How do you feel shaped by those other men who, who, how does your life feel shaped by them? If you get my question about impact. Well, you're saying uh, all, all of my father figures. Including yeah, my dad, all of them, man. My dad, yeah. The whole football um, team, <laughs> father <laughs> figures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll attribute the work ethic I have to both my parents. Um, yeah. I just, I saw them work pretty much their whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also loved their career. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like to make it seem like they were, um, you know, martyrs for like working so much. You know, they very much were career oriented. They had their own goals with where they wanted to get. Both of them did. And they, they, they put a lot of energy and focus into that. Yeah, I mean, Ed, Ed, like going back to Ed, Ed kind of like chilled me out a bit. Like, hey, like listen to some good music, like enjoy life a little bit. Uh, my friend Brad, his father, I forget his name. I, I would go hunting with them. My, my friend Todd, his dad, his dad was very much into like Jeeps and boating. And so I got yeah. to like get some of that experience. So mm-hmm. all of these different father figures kind of gave me exposure to what I would say is like a more well-rounded childhood. I want to give you a chance to ask me a question if anything's on your mind, you know, and you've been really gracious in terms of just being open about your, your life experience with your father and your own life. Um, I think it's fair to turn the tables. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so before, I, uh, instead of butchering your last name, can you say your last name for me? Salaji. Salaji. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It almost sounds Brazilian, but it's not Brazilian because mm-hmm. you've told me it's uh, it's Hungarian, right? That's, that's correct. So I have no really like sense of what Hungarians are like. And I would guess that, um, well, was your father, uh, an, your father was an immigrant or was he? No, my, my, second, my, second? my, my great grandfather was on my father's side. Okay. Yeah. His name uh, was, his name was Demeter Szilagyi. Uh, we knew him as grand, great grandpa Dan. He probably died when I was five. I can give you kind of general descriptions of what it feels like to have Hungarian bloodlines from my grandfather, my great uncle, and my great grandfather, and kind of talk about that a little bit, if that's what you're asking about. Yeah, I'm just kind of like I, I consider Hungarians like staunch people. Kind of like there's there's definitely a lot of joy. I would say joy more in a private private settings more so than what's emoted in public. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious whether you can, as you said, like trace that bloodline a little bit and whether any of that came through your dad or like, or maybe I'm mischaracterizing uh, Hungarians, but I just have a sense that they're stout people, uh, a little stoic. Uh, maybe I'm off on that, but I'd love to hear your, your take and whether you got any of that through your dad. Definitely. Um, well, I haven't been to Hungary and I'm a total European mutt with a little bit of uh, sub-Saharan African in my DNA, I found out a year or two ago. Wow, God, you know, so I don't know Hungary well. I haven't been there. But what I would say is that growing up, there was a feeling of like my grandfather had this kind of olivey skin. And there was a, a definitely distinct impression that um, corporal punishment was like part of it. Like, you know, get the belt out, whip the ass, don't back talk, I'll smack your face, you know, just kind of like a really intense um, physicality, wow. which I didn't experience in any other of my, like my mom's side or my grandmother's side. A quick to laugh. Yeah, there was like a quick to laugh in my dad, like a quick sense of humor, but also a real uh, quick to anger. So there was a okay. kind of kind of intensity and also quick to understanding, like my dad was, was when he was alive, he died pretty young at 58, but he was also quick to understanding and grasp ideas and grasp people and situations, quick to judgment. When it came to like people being hurt 
generous with his patience, generous with his care, but simultaneously short-tempered. My grandfather was funny as fuck because he used to like <laughs> he used to like to have burnt toast, and he he said that uh, his his wife, my grandmother, was always burning it, but he liked it that way. And yeah. he he would like smack us with like French toast in the morning because he thought that was funny, and he was somewhat incapacitated. He had his first heart attack when he was twenty six. Oh, and uh, his name was Bill William William Salaji, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't find out um, till later that he, he used to run the streets of uh, Cleveland. I guess his nickname was Blackie. I don't know why. He he had his first heart attack when he was twenty six and had a bunch of heart attacks and, and strokes. And so oh, the no. method at that time was like, don't do much. Don't even go play golf. You know. So oh, there was okay. a lot of limitation. And so my dad defied that. They both smoked heavily. My dad defied that quality of limitation and, and I think reacted to wanting doctor's influence in his life. And so he, he just didn't take care of himself the way he should have. And so funny enough, I got into medicine myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, those were my, that was my grandfather and my father. And so um, stout, I don't know, staunch is what you said. Yeah, stout, staunch. I, I, I'm yeah. Not, I'd have to go Google the definitions. There, there's an older stories and myths I learned from a friend and, and Hungarian blood, and I'm forgetting the name of those right now, but I did do a medicine journey in Ireland with psychedelics. And when I was in this ancient multi-thousand-year-old temple, I had these visions. And among those visions I saw were like ancient Eurasians, kind of that Mongolian, Mongolian. yeah, that kind of Mongolian Hun kind Mm -hmm. of quality. And so I have taken a a sense that there is, though my genetics didn't show it, deeper relationship with that old Mongolian Hun-Garian energy and that kind Mm -hmm. of warrior blood. So um, that's my answer. (laughs) Did cool. I answer it? Did I answer it? I don't know if I yeah, did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, uh, it was, it was pleasant to hear you say they were both quick witted. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. So what were you expecting? Slow witted? <laughs> no, no, just like maybe, uh, maybe not easy to humor. I uh, like, yeah. uh, again, the stoic, um, but that's just like, that's just my idea of what I would think about, you know, an Eastern mm-hmm. European. So, mm-hmm. um, um yeah, I've met the- some Hungarians. They talked about my name being from like Transylvania. Oh. Apparently the second wife of Count Dracula was a Szilagyi. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> read it, was reading a book about that and told me, I'm like, I'm like, that makes sense. I stick needles in people like blood comes out sometimes. Like, yeah. but, but, but I want to go, I want to go to my, my question for you, which is the father and you. And, um, and the father and qualities in you. And what I mean by that is, is, is the ability to give attention to be present to and nurture, maybe challenge, um, those who are younger than you. And and where is that showing up for you at this point in your life? Or how do you see that hopefully emerging or starting to emerge? Well, I, I would say one area that I'm seeing this emerges in terms of mentorship. I've taken, um, my, the school I went to, Georgia Tech, there's a mentor program and I've joined that and I uh, haven't had a lot of experience with that, but, you know, was able to mentor a few students, answer some questions. That was my first year doing it. And I'll, I see continuing doing that. Also, it's interesting in this quantum computing realm, I have had a lot of people connect with me over LinkedIn and what most people don't know is if they try to add me on LinkedIn, the first thing I ask for is whether they're willing to spend a 15-minute Zoom call to do proper intros. In terms of uh, actually be- being an actual father, um, I'm on the fence about that. I'm not sure yet that is what is meant for me in my life. Would you be okay talking about that for a minute? Sure. Being on the fence, what's that mean? Yeah, for me, it's, um, it's not just something that I do because I can. And I think it's mainly because of my relationship with or my experience of being a child in my family. For me, if I were to have a child, it would be because I very much want to be a dad and, and want to show up and want to uh, do that with intention and complete. Not, well, it can't be complete, but with, uh, with focus, yeah. 
And then I balance that and I can't hold it against my parents for very much going after their careers because the being on the fence part is knowing what's ahead of me with, with the, the whole quantum computing. Um, there's just so much learning ahead that like, I wonder if having a family is where I, where I would want to spend you know, energy or whether I would stick to maybe bringing creations into the world in other ways. Yeah. Other yeah. kinds of children. Yeah. That's beautiful. So I guess what I, what I, what I, what I, what I listen to, I, I, I really hear the need for you to have a kind of clarity and intention as an antidote, you know, as not yeah. to, is <laughs> yeah. not, is not to repeat just like, Oh, we're just going to do this habit and not really think about the impact. And I guess that might be close to the quality of, of, of your integrity that I feel that perhaps one of the things, if I, if I can be forward enough to reflect how I know you and, and having learned more about your story is that your, your beautiful warrior integrity energy seems to be in some ways a response and a healthy response to unthought out choices that have impacts on people like you and like me, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you're going to leave a little thread there, I'm curious, uh, can you share a little bit more about what you mean by that, like for having impact on you and in what way has uh, that unthought out uh, resolve maybe um, mm-hmm. how that had impact on you? You know, for, for me, my, my parents had a very volatile relationship and there was a great deal of turmoil and, and probably one of my earliest painful moments I had to make in my life, I think I was like four. And I don't know if my younger brother was born, but my two older brothers were surely around. And I, I remember consenting when my mom was talking to me that her and my dad needed to split up. And in that moment, I knew that it was probably a better thing for them to do because the, the turmoil that was there, but I had to forego my need. And so I had to over adult, like it was, it was like I consented to something that I didn't want for myself as a child. Mm. You know, what I wanted was an intact family that knew how to mostly work. <laughs> and, and that wasn't what was happening. And I understood that at an early age. And so I guess, you know, if you're 20 and 18 and you have four boys before you're 30, there's still a lot of uh, life intelligence that, that still needs to happen that didn't quite happen. And, and don't get me wrong, they, they did, they worked hard and they showed up and they did things and they loved and, and they fought and, you know, they were, they were human. Um, but I know that my, to this day, I have to work very hard to feel at home in my family in certain periods of my life. It's not all the time. Sometimes I feel naturally at home, but I can go through states where it's not easy. I was joking with my wife when we were driving up to the mountains. I'm like, I don't think I was cut out for family life. Like, like, like I'm like, I just cannot cope right now with the series of things that are going on or want to be here or want to do this. And so there's this part of me that, and this is one of the reasons I love the Odyssey myth, um, that the tale of the Odyssey, because the story of wandering lost fathers going through ordeals while wow, there's a son coming of age who needs, who needs his father, that's, that's multi-generational problem. And evolutionary biology tells us that it's even more precarious for even more ancient um, species reasons. But just say in the last couple thousand years, this is not a, a first time round that my dad bailed a number of times and didn't know how to cope or that I struggle with this capacity to be like highly invested, highly present on point doing what I need to do. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I kind of always have loved kids and just have 
uh, instinctively, just even when I was a child, I just, I love children and I enjoy them. My little, the little neighbors around all the time. I'm like a bit of a Pied Piper in my spirit. So I have this, this relational energy with kids, but having children and being the father and like understanding how to do that well is a, is, is a, is an ongoing challenge for me for a variety of reasons. But that's the impact I feel like that when the model's not there or, or, or the cultural or social understanding is not there, it's even harder for parental investment to take place, particularly if you're stressed, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if you have uh, uh, been abused or there's toxic elements in the family system, it becomes even more of a challenge and it's a recovery project. So when I came back to after like making a dedication 20 some years ago to helping the fathering energy and realizing, wow, I'm still working through this in my life a couple decades in. The, then I'm now doing this podcast and really just going, you know, this is re- I really want to have these conversations. It's like that whole arc of, of this value of mine around is coming back with an evolutionary biology bent with a mythological bent, but also like you, me, personal men and women having these stories of like, wow, what is, what is this fathering quality? What does it mean to us? How does it influence us? How did we find it instinctively? So um, I know that's a long answer, but it's my true answer of why I'm, why I'm doing this. So for me, there was a a four-year-old, five-year-old child who was overwhelmed by my parents' emotional conflict that made me feel pretty unsafe in family systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing a story of uh, almost breaking, uh, well, uh, what I connect with too in, in my own life, almost breaking the cycle in a way. And then uh, the awareness piece is the biggest one. So even though you're saying this is tough, I'm not cut out for this, the awareness of it, totally. that's, a big, that's a big one. So, uh, it was so yeah. great to say it and not be ashamed of it. Then have my wife totally laugh at me and just be like, I'm so glad you said that. That's great. Cause you're difficult yeah. to be around right now. And it's just funny. <laughs> it's funny to hear you be that honest that you just can't cope, but you're right. It, it, it is an achievement, right? It is a sort of yeah. achievement just to be able to, to laugh at oneself or, or be aware yeah. of it in that way. Yeah. Well, I can say I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the series. I really appreciate you being a part of it. It's really um, an honor to just listen to your story and thank you for showing up and being part of this conversation. It's really important. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow us on your favorite streaming platform and share our podcast with your community and friends. All music is composed by the incredible Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people find peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us.com.